And dear Father, as we worship at the foot of our Savior, the foot of his cross today, oh, let, it, let, let us see something we may never have seen before. Make it fresh, these moments with him and with you and with each other. We pray in Christ's name that all the people say, Amen and Amen. The memory of once being slaves is deeply embedded in the psyche of a community. This last Monday, the United States Senate publicly apologized for never having passed legislation to outlaw lynching after the Civil War. Lynchings, defined, by the way, as any mob killing, lynchings have been documented in 46 of the 50 states of this nation. It is estimated that between 1980, and that would be after the war to free the slaves, between 1980, I'm sorry, between 1880 and 1960, over 4,700 lynchings took place, mostly black and mostly by hanging, in this nation. Angry mobs. On Monday, over 200 descendants of these victims crowded into those Senate chambers and listened to that historic apology for not having made such mob action illegal. The memory of once being a slave is embedded deep within a community's psyche. Just ask the African-American community. Just ask the Jewish community. And truth be told... The memory of past slavery needs to be just as deeply embedded in the hearts of the Christian community, too. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9. Luke, chapter 9. Ponder with me an obscure word tucked away in this very familiar story, a word used only by Dr. Luke in recording this incident, a word that will not let us forget the memory of our once-being slaves. All right? The Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9. I'm going to be, once again, in the... I'm kind of getting attached to this translation. It's the new one, today's New International Version. I'm being blessed by it. Luke chapter 9. Let's pick it up, please, in verse 28. We'll put the TNIV on the screen for you if you want to compare it with what you have in your lap. Luke 9, 29, the familiar story. And about eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him, left the others. There are times when we're tempted to conclude that somehow our Lord played favorites. He never played favorites once. All Jesus did was respond to the hearts that were most hungry for Him. God does not know the meaning of a favorite child or a favorite son or a favorite daughter. The heart of the Father is simply drawn to those who respond to Him. And obviously, Peter, John, and James identified themselves as hungry for the companionship of the Master. So that's what's going on here. Verse 28, And about eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him, and He went up onto a mountain to pray. And Luke is, is just big on chronicling the prayer life of Jesus. All the way through the Gospel, you'll see Luke pointing out, Hey, wait, look, 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 look. He's praying again. He's praying again. And this is one of those times. Verse 29, And as He was praying, the appearance of His face changed, and His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, to those of us who have the privilege of living in this majestic state of Michigan, we have absolutely no problem with that simile, do we? 
I mean, did you sleep through that thunderstorm the other night? White light. Doom. Jesus' face. White light. All right? In fact, Desire of Ages. Desire of Ages describes this morning, uh, this, this moment. And I just learned this yesterday. Do you know that the Library of Congress describes the Desire of Ages as the most authoritative and moving account of the life of Christ outside of the Holy Scripture? That was something. I just learned that from a lawyer friend of mine. Alex told me that yesterday. All right, Desire of Ages. Let's put it on the screen here. Describing this moment. While he, Jesus, is bowed in lowliness upon the stony ground, suddenly the heavens open. The golden gates of the city of God are thrown wide. Can you picture it in your mind? And holy radiance descends upon the mount, enshrouding the Savior's form. And now in a phrase unique to this particular author, divinity from within flashes through humanity and meets the glory coming from above. Arising from his prostrate position, Christ stands in godlike majesty. Can you see him standing there? White light now. Lightning. And he stands as a king. Wow. Well, the account goes on, verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, and I predict it didn't take too long, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Verse 33, and as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Please let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then Luke had to tell us, although we already knew he did not know what he was saying. You ever get so nervous? You just start talking. You don't even know what you're saying, but you just fill in the air with sounds. Peter was scared spitless. All right? So Luke wants us to know that. Verse 34, And while he, Peter, was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they enter into this cloud. I don't mind flying. I love to fly either above or below the clouds, but boy, don't keep me long in that cloud. I just don't like that white. You can't see a thing. And they could not see a thing. They are very afraid now. And a voice, verse 35, and a voice came from the cloud. Desire of Ages says this voice shook the mountain to its base. And a voice came from inside that cloud and said, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Whoa. And finally, verse 36, and when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Now, Matthew's account says that Jesus had to come over because their heads are buried in that mountainside. And Jesus comes over and taps them. It's okay now. You can, you can look. And when they look, there's nothing. Nothing. They just saw Jesus alone. That's all that's there now. And the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, what's the obscure word that only Luke uses? Here it is. Only gospel what? He's the only gospel writer to describe the conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Nobody else says a word about it. And in that conversation, Luke inserts a word used only three times... In the New Testament, let's go and look at it again. Verse 32, men, Moses and Elijah appearing, verse 31, in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. There it is, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Departure. That's the word. If we could see the word in the Greek, this would be the Greek word you see on the screen. Exodus. That's exactly how you transliterate the Greek word from whence comes, believe it or not, our word Exodus. 
See? They talk to Jesus about the exodus. They descend from heaven to converse with their king about the impending exodus. Now, look, at when you, and I, when you and I think of the exodus, we immediately, in our minds, have Cecil B. DeMille's great, great uh, film, The Ten Commandments. Isn't that what we see? And we see Charlton Heston. There he is, Moses, bushy-bearded, with that rod in his hand. And we see him calling down the ten plagues upon Egypt. And then with that same rod, under the mighty hand now of God, he leads out that liberated horde of slaves to glorious freedom. When, and it's true, it's true, it's true. The Exodus is the greatest story in the collective memory of the Jewish community as they remember when they were slaves. Once it's embedded in your psyche, it does not leave. Every Passover, our friends celebrate the salvation and deliverance of God in that forever to be remembered moment in history. But that is not the Exodus that Moses and Elijah come materializing down to that mountain to talk to Jesus about. Not that one, not back, no. The one yet ahead, just a few months ahead. They're speaking as it would read in that manuscript. And they spoke about his Exodus in Jerusalem. Why? Because Calvary, Calvary is the exodus, not only of the Jewish race, but of the human race itself. The exodus from our house of bondage, the exodus from that dark and evil taskmaster, the exodus, Calvary. By the way, where one greater than Moses at Calvary cried out, let my people go. The exodus, it's Calvary. And by the way, in a very strange mix of holy metaphors, Calvary is where the liberator became the lamb and splashed his blood on the lintels and doorposts of an entire planet, planet Earth. It's Calvary. You know these words, you know this familiar collection of three, John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the metaphor goes on. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And now mixing the Lamb metaphor with the Liberator metaphor, we quote the words of Christ, John 8, 36, Jesus said, And if the Son sets you free at this exodus, if He sets you free there, you will be, say it out loud with me, you will be what? You will be free indeed. When you're set free by the Liberator, you'll be free indeed. You see, the memory of once being slaves must be embedded deep within the psyche of our community too. It's not only our forefathers and foremothers who were once upon a time enslaved. We too have been slaves of the dark taskmaster. We too have been shackled in Egypt. Now, I know it's not the same Egypt that's getting a whole lot of press lately. Have you been following this? King Tut has come back to America. And he's out in California right now. He's going to make his way across the country. King Tut. The exhibit once again. No, 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 not that Egypt. Our land of Egypt has been the pleasures of sin for a season. Tell you what, we've been catching up on all these stories with Kirk, and I, he has told some stories of demonic enslavement. The moment of baptism, the, 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 the dark underworld making one last thrust to hold on to this, this victim that they have held. And actually in the baptistry, one last moment, boom. Kirk's had to reach right into that baptistry with his suit on and pull that woman back out from under the water. You say, oh boy, it would never happen in our country. You're absolutely right. 
Same demonic enslavement. But ours is oh so much more sophisticated. We have our private addictions. We have our besetting sins. And there is no demon, we're convinced, that could hold us. In one of my camp meetings this summer, I reconnected with a former student of Andrews University who came up to me after the altar call in the end of the service and shared with me the story of bondage that still shackles her heart. We all know, we know the same taskmaster and the same bondage. We may serve a different Pharaoh today than the children of Israel, but our bondage is nonetheless as brutal and enslaving. So, question, what's the problem? Have we forgotten that, in fact, we have already been set free? I remind you, January 1, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and with a stroke of a pen declared that all slaves living in territory in rebellion against the federal government, all slaves were now free. No matter who, no matter where, you're free. One stroke of a pen, that's what it was for the Emancipation Proclamation, but at Calvary, it was not the stroke of a pen. It's the, it's the blow of a hammer and the cry of death. It is finished. But signed papers, more potent, more potent than Lincoln's. I love how Ministry of Healing, page 90, puts it. Look at this. Ministry of Healing, page 90, with His own blood, Jesus has signed the Emancipation Papers of the race, an entire human race, not just those who respond, not just those who want to be liberated. No, 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 no. Lincoln didn't say, okay, the slaves that want to be free, I'm freeing. Are you crazy? Every slave is now declared free, and it was the same way at Calvary. Acquitted, charges dropped, pardoned, you're free. You just need to know you're free. You need to know you can walk away. How did Jesus put it? And if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so, my dear brothers and sisters of the family of God, we come today to reaffirm our acceptance of His emancipation. We will take a towel, we will take some bread, we will take the cup of wine, and then let us take the six steps of a slave. I want to, I want to end with this. The six steps of a slave. This is what a slave has to do in order for a slave to be set free. Some of you are working under some terrible, some horrible bondage right now in your private life. I want you to know that today could be the day, by your call and His power, when that bondage can be broken. It can be broken here at the foot of the cross. The slaves that were freed by Lincoln had to take these six steps. Let's put them on the screen. Step number one, I must hear the good news of my emancipation. It's not good enough. You know, if it's just happening out there in the ether somewhere, it's no good. I have to, number one, hear the good news. Does that make sense? Okay, say it out loud with me. I must hear the good news of my emancipation. But it's not enough to hear. Let's go to step number two. Every slave has to do this. I must believe the good news. See? I heard about it, but I'm not really sure the news is that good. No, it's no good then. You have to not only hear it, you have to believe the good news. Say it out loud with me. I must believe the good news of my freedom. Step number three, you have to take this. Number three, what's this about? Ah, I have to reckon that the good news is good news for me personally. Not just, okay, all the slaves got freed, not going to make a difference in my life. Of course it's going to make a difference, but you have to choose. Say it with me. I must reckon the good news true for me personally. Number four, I must refuse. This is critical. 
It's not enough to just say, okay, it's good news for me. Hallelujah. No. Number four, I must refuse to remain in subjection as a slave. I will no longer stay in this prison house that has held me captive all these all these months. Say it out loud with me. I must refuse to remain in subjection as a slave. Step number five. There are only six of them. Here comes step number five. I must assert my freedom from my former taskmaster. By the way, that is what was happening in those baptistries in Zimbabwe. The taskmaster is realizing he is losing. He is losing his victim. And one last thrust. I'll hold you. But that... that former victim, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ, greater is He who is innocent, He who is in the world, that former victim could then say, No, I have chosen Jesus. This is critical, number five. Read it out loud with me. Number five, I must assert my freedom from my former taskmaster. And finally, number six. I love this one. So many of us leave number six out. We just leave it out. We forget all about it. This is the key. To staying free, I must call upon the authority and power of the government that set me free to keep me free. You see the difference? It's one thing to be set free. It's another thing to be kept free. And it's your choice. One last time. Read it with me, please. I must call upon the authority and power of the government that set me free to keep me free. Ladies and gentlemen, with Tao... And bread and wine, you and I today not only remember Calvary's emancipation, we choose to receive it again. We're going to get it again. We choose with joy and gratitude so that we would not forget His exodus. The Lord Jesus, our liberator, gave us this supper. This is His supper so that we would never forget. And by the way, I remind you, I remind you, Those who choose not to remember the exodus soon hunger after Egypt again, which is the worst bondage of all. So please, please, please do not go back to Egypt. Stay with the exodus. Stay at this supper. You need this supper to keep free, to be set free. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray. Oh God, here we are. Supper table set. So that we would never forget. So that this community would have embedded into its psyche the fact that we were once slaves too. So that we would never forget the exodus and the emancipation. Oh God, our Lord Jesus has given us this supper. Dear Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let every man, woman, and child gathered here be at peace with the everlasting good news that He who is our liberator is also our Lamb. Our sins have been atoned for. The past is covered. We are secure in the Savior. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen.